Show Me the Science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, I'm Luke O'Neill and welcome to my Show Me the Science podcast. When I take a topic, usually one that's just come out in science and some latest breakthroughs and all that kind of thing, uh, that strikes me as interesting as a scientist. Now this week, every year, I love this time of the year, because they issue what are called the Ig Nobel Prizes. Now, you've all heard of Nobel Prizes. Of course you have, and there's Nobel Prizes. And they're about to be announced in the next sort of couple of weeks, I guess. But before the real ones are announced, the Ig Nobel Prizes get announced. And they are really funny, witty things. Welcome to the 30th first annual Ig Nobel Prize Ceremony. They are known as the Ig Nobel Awards, not quite as well known as the real Nobel Prizes. The science humor magazine, Improbable Research, says the Ig Nobel Awards should first make you laugh and then make you think. And uh, it's a little bit of a spoof, but, uh, but still, we like a bit of humour, you know. This is the 31st year of the Ig Nobel Prizes, and they are published in the Annals of Improbable Research. Does that exist? I don't know. But certainly that's the place where you see them being reported. And what happens is a committee of scientists look at the weirdest, wackiest, most peculiar discoveries that have been made in the past year and award them a prize, you see, the Ig Nobel Prize. And they're in the similar subjects to the real Nobel Prizes. There's ones in chemistry, ones in biology, economics, and this year's list it's probably the best because uh, I was laughing my head off when I read the different ones. I'm going to share them with you now. And what I like about this is science is supposed to be fun, you know. If it's not fun, it's not good, you know. And research is meant to be really thrilling. And obviously we get uh, excited by our research programs and we discover new things. And there's a bit of fun in discovery anyway. But this bit of irreverence is good. And there's a great quote. Richard Feynman, who's a very famous physicist, Nobelist himself, actually, said a wonderful thing. He's all these quotes. He's worth looking up, actually. He's got some great quotes in science. He said, study what interests you the most in the most undisciplined, irreverent and original manner possible. Now, the word irreverent is brilliant there, isn't it? In other words, scientists should be irreverent. And what this really means is you need to be very original, you know. And the best scientists are inclined to be undisciplined. Now, they're, they're very disciplined with their data and their analysis, but they're often a little bit sort of, you know, outside the mainstream or they're, they're maybe a bit, uh, you know, a bit unusual in their thought processes. And... and that's how they make discoveries and that's how they become original. So I'm a big fan of this. Science can be far too serious. And young people doing science, and I always say this to our students, we love our reverence. You know, take the mickey out of me, please. You know, everybody, because that shows you've got maybe you're a free thinker. And we need free thinking most of all in science because that's how we make discoveries. So I thought that was a really resonant thing about these ignoble prizes. Some scientists don't like them because they think, oh, science should be very serious. But I'm a huge fan of irreverence. Now, of course, the science has to be excellent and exacting. And the things they've picked here are scientifically robust, remember, and we use the principles of what's good science and what isn't the whole time, of course. Uh, And these studies that have been picked out, they looked at them closely, they looked at the data, as you all know. By now, I imagine data is what counts. And they said these conclusions are compelling and they're wacky conclusions. Now, are you ready? Let's go through them. So the first one is for chemistry. And this was a lab in the Max Planck Institute. Now, the Max Planck Institutes in Germany are world-famous research institutes named after the famous physicist Max Planck. And one Max Planck have shown, guess what? They tested the air in a movie theatre and measured the volatile organic compounds in the air in a movie theatre during the watching of different movies. Now, you're going, for heaven's sake, 
you bother doing this. But this paper was published measuring these volatiles as people watch different movies and they tried to see if certain chemical signatures were higher depending on the movie. Now, some movies were, were for, had lots of violence or lots of drug use or bad language. You know, the, the ones that adults, the, the, the old rating system, I guess. The ones that are inclined to be uh, not, not, not for children, basically, shall we say. Over 16s was one movie they looked at closely, for example. In those movies, they saw a particular volatile organic compound called isoprenes went up in the air as people watched those more violent adult-type movies. So something's happening there. And they could show this really clearly, you know, and the evidence was was, uh, was absolutely compelling. So maybe while the people are watching those movies, they're a bit anxious or they're getting, you know, nervous by the violence or whatever it is, and their bodies exude a volatile organic compound and isoprenes appear in the air of the theatre. Now, there you have it. That's the winner for chemistry. Really accurate science. What's, now, the thing about these awards is what's the use of them? They're a bit of fun, first of all, of course. That's the main thing, I suppose. But secondly, then, of course, th- this is something more serious. The wondering could use to classify films. So instead of someone having an opinion if a movie should be over 18s or whatever it is, maybe you could get an audience to watch it. And then if there's isoprenes in the air, you know, oh, this is a bit disturbing, this movie. shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't give a, a certificate for children for this one, for instance. And that, that's what I thought would be the usefulness of this. Whether that ever happens, I don't know. But still, that's the no ignoble prize for chemistry. Isoprene correlation with the level of violence in a movie, effectively, is what we call that one. Now, next one is the Nobel Prize for Economics. And this uh, was the University of Montpellier, a famous university in France. And what they had a paper on was obesity in the post-Soviet Union politicians, right? So they were able to measure obesity in these politicians who, post-Soviet, they'd been politicians during the Soviet era. And guess what? The level of obesity was correlating with the level of corruption. And there's a funny one for you. In other words, the more corrupt the politician was, there was a big correlation with obesity. Now, what this means, we don't know, but still very clear correlation. And the Ig Nobel Prize for Economics goes for that discovery. Now, the next one is another favourite. I thought this was really good. This is the Ig Nobel Prize for Ecology. And this was a study done in the University of Valencia. And what they showed was, guess what this is about? Chewing gum. Now, I hope nobody spits out the chewing gum on the pavement. It is a curse of every city. And there's always these uh, you know, uh, guidance to say, don't be spitting out your chewing gum because it's stuck on the pavement and you can't clean it up. This university, our, our researchers from the university decided to take samples from chewing gum that was discarded from pavements around the world. Now, this is how rigorous this study was. They got collaborators and various people to send them bits of chewing gum in the post. And then they analysed what was on the chewing gum. And what they found was bacteria. And they could grow bacteria from these uh, discarded chewing gum. And they could look at the species of bacteria and map them and study them in various ways. And this, the committee obviously found this quite interesting. Bacteria growing on discarded chewing gum. And some of the chewing gum was three months old. And they could still, uh, now how they found that out, mind you, I don't know, but they knew it was old chewing gum. Uh, and they could still detect bacteria on the old chewing gum. And in fact, that might have been part of the study to see how long bacteria can grow on a piece of chewing gum. Now you wonder, what is the point in this for crying out loud? Uh, well, it still strikes me, whenever I'm walking somewhere and I see all this chewing gum, when I read this, though, I wonder, is the bacteria growing on that? And they could map the different species of bacteria that were growing on the chewing gum. Now, could this be used in forensics, they wonder now, you know, and if you find a piece of chewing gum with certain bacteria beside 
say, in a crime scene or something, can that be useful? I don't quite know how it would be useful, but certainly the wondering, is there a forensic uh, connection here to connect to crime scenes? Say, if someone spat out chewing gum at a crime scene, you can date when the crime happened or something like that. But that's the Ig Nobel Prize for Ecology. Bacteria growing on chewing gum probably isn't very useful for anything, really, is the sad truth of it. Now, the next one is the Ig Nobel Prize for Peace. Now, because there is a Nobel Prize for Peace, as you would all know, and this was done at the University of Utah, and what they looked at was, do beards protect against punches to the face? Now, this question was, why do people, what's the advantage of a man growing a beard? Now, again, you'd wonder why people wonder these things, but I suppose scientists have all kinds of interesting questions. But the question is, would a beard protect your face, basically? Now, how, how do they study this? Well, they didn't go around punching people with beards. That would have been ethically unsound, I suppose. You can't just go up to a guy on the street who's got a beard and then punch him and see what happens. Instead, they grew kind of a beard substitute using special fibre epoxy chemical. It was called in the paper, whatever that might be. And they felt that was a replica of the beard substance, the hair and, the, and, and so on. You know? So they realised this, this could substitute for beards. And then they began punching it. And again, you can see the ignoble committee laughing away as they watch this happening, I suppose. Um, and, you know, they, they, they measured the force of the impact. They could measure things like the extent of bruising that might happen. Uh, and lo and behold, guess what? The beard does protect against these things in their mock-up of this beard sort of system, I suppose. They could measure the surrogates of things like bruising and lacerations and so on. So the conclusion was, beards indeed protect your face. And maybe that's why our ancient ancestors all those years ago had beards. And maybe that's why humans evolved beards in the first place, was to protect our faces. That could be a reason for beards. That was their conclusion. And, you know, I guess they were stuck for the Nobel Prize for Peace, because it's hard to pick a subject in science like that. So, But they found that paper and said, oh, this is the Nobel Prize for Peace, was the way they thought of it. Now, the next one is the Nobel Prize for Entomology. Now, there isn't a real Nobel Prize for Entomology yet. You never know, there might be one day. Uh, but anyway, they decided to give it an ignoble prize for entomology. And what this was about was the best way to kill cockroaches, which, of course, is important. People have cockroaches in their houses. But this specific thing was on submarines. Now, again, you'd wonder, why would they bother doing that? And I wonder when I read that myself, are, are, are submarines infested with cockroaches? But they do seem to be a problem. Uh, certain insect infestations happen. And of course, these submarines are often at sea for months on end and they've got to have ways of handling the insects that might be on the submarines. So a really systematic study was done on the best way to kill cockroaches on submarines. A chemical called dichlorus was mentioned in the, uh, in the publication. 6.5% solution. Uh, and it was an American study, so it was 12 ounces per 10,000 cubic feet. So they, they could measure the amount of this, uh, this um, insecticide, I suppose, is what it is. Uh, how, how much you spray in the air of the submarine. 97% death to the cockroach. So that was good. So this is a very effective way to kill cockroaches on submarines. And what I liked about this was, again, I've often spoken about reproducibility in science. It's a very important principle. Like, if you find a scientific sort of discovery, if you make one, how do you know it's reproducible? Uh, always look at the numbers when it comes to looking at data. And the numbers have the bigger, the better, basically, because the more likely something is to be uh, reproducible, the higher the number is. They used three separate submarines in three separate studies. And all three subs were subjected to this. And they measured the cockroaches on the submarines. And they showed this approach was the best way to get rid of cockroaches from submarines. So, we, so I guess the, the judging panel must have liked the N equals three. We often call this the N number. And there were three separate submarines that were used. Now, the last one, and it's my favourite of all of them. I must be said, I'm keeping this for you to the last. 
This was a Nobel Prize that was given out for biology, my own subject. So it's close, to, very close to my heart. And what was this Nobel, Ig Nobel Prize for? Cat noises. So scientists measured different cat noises. Now, we all have cats. They're very dear pets to so many people. And any cat owner will tell you cats make different noises. They classified at least eight different noises that cats make. Now, we all know about purring, don't we? Cats purr, of course. Then they also called about chirping, trilling, tweedling, whatever that is. I'm sure Owen will find great sound effects for this bit from the cat sound library uh, in Newstalk. Uh, lots of cats in Newstalk, it must be said. Uh, hissing, growling. They were some of the noises that these cats were, were making and they documented them. University of Lund, let's give them credit for this as well, by the way. Uh, and they wondered, you know, what do these mean and can they, can they decipher the cat language? The three cats they studied were Donna, Rocky and Turbo. Let's give the cats' names a shout out. These three cats are obviously very, very vocal. Were they three cool cats, I wonder? Uh, anyway, those cats were looked at. And is there a cat language? And they begin to sort of say, well, maybe there is. Now, again, you get into the obvious thing in a way. They noticed a different noise was being made when the cat, cats looked at birds. Obviously, cats like to chase birds and maybe eat them. You look as part of their prey. So that was one type of noise. And then they also noticed a different noise was being made when they asked for food. So were, what, was there a word then in cat language for say, hey, there's a bird over there, and that was the noise the cat made? Uh, was there a phrase that says, oh, there's some food over there, and that was the, the language there? So they tried to decipher cat noises. And here we have now, talking to the animals, I suppose, and that won the Ig Nobel Prize for Biology cat languages. Isn't it fantastic? Let's see what happens next when it comes to studying the different noises cats make. So all credit to this year's winners of the Ig Nobel Prizes. They mightn't have any immediate application. Some of them more than others. Maybe the, the cockroach one, for instance, might be useful. Uh, but the rest of them were just fantastically interesting and witty and irreverent studies. Science at its best, well-controlled experiments, makes us smile a little bit as well, teaches us how to do good science. And who knows, one day there may be a use some of these things that have been discovered and the winners of this year's Ig Nobel Prizes. So thanks so much for listening and my podcast is a News Talk production and it's out every Thursday. Thank you very much.